0: Hi, my name is Beth, and I am the host of the Seeking Light podcast. In a world that presents us with growth and challenges, there is tremendous light. And this podcast is a source of light through scriptural insights that I have gained through the years. Come join me as I share light in a world that can sometimes be confusing. Before you begin to listen to this podcast interview with Blaine Rindlisbacher, um, who is a man, marriage and family therapist and also a recovering pornography addict. Um, I just wanted to kind of warn you so that if your children are present or it's a sensitive topic and I want to make sure that, you know, um, I'm sensitive to those around you that are listening and just wanted to give you a little warning that uh, he does talk about pornography addiction and his own experience and then how he has come out of it into the light. So enjoy this interview with Blaine. Okay. I'd like to welcome everybody to Friday's interview, this podcast interview. I'm super excited about it. Um, I had shared with all of you um, last week when I released um, one of my Tuesday podcasts about pornography, I shared with you that I wanted to really shine a light on this topic and do everything that I could in my power to share more information and help any of you out there that are listening, that have a family member that struggles with uh, pornography, in, in, you know, spouse, a child, um, a grandchild, a person in your ward that you're serving that is in need of help. And, um, today my guest is Blaine Renlis Bacher, and he is a marriage and family. He has a marriage and family therapist degree from Liberty university. And he, um, in his life battled with addiction early on, and he is here to share his story and also share some, um, Wonderful information about ways and tools that we can uh, overcome or find help in regards to pornography. So, Blaine, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Thank you so much. So, just to get started, Blaine, would you please share your story um, with my audience about your battle with pornography?
1: Be happy to. Um, mine started really young. My first um, My first memory was when I was five years old, Um, and I know that's weird and kind of like freaky, (laughs) but that's my that was my reality. I didn't know any different. I remember laying under my bed fantasizing about mature, full developed women, and I I'm sure I was exposed. I had to have been exposed to something. I don't know what I don't know. what I'd seen I have no recollection of that What that was but I do specifically, I can remember right now exactly where I was in what room I was underneath my bed. Um, so that was my start. And it was, it was soothing. That's what addiction is right. We, we do it, not because we're losers. <laughs> Uh, contrary to some people's beliefs but we do it because it makes us it pacifies it makes us feel good it calms us down right if we didn't I mean why else would you do it right it's you, a form of a,
0: a buffer it's a buffer yeah. we use
1: it's a form of, of, of you know, probably a good way to say it is a buffer it's just trying to help us cope now, it's a terrible coping way to you know to cope but is try to cope with our our feelings and i've learned a lot about that over the years what those feelings derive from which feelings cause those those uh that, that angst you know that twisted inside and you just you feel so out of sorts you feel so uncomfortable that you need something to calm you down um you know and people's you know i think I think there's less of a stigma than there used to be about pornography because it's everywhere. And it's always, you know, it's, it's shoved in our face every time you turn around, literally. Um, But there is definitely less of a stigma because people used to think you were like a freak of nature. If you, you know, you looked at pornography, but it's really, it doesn't matter what it is. It's alcohol, it's gaming, it's, it's uh, TV shows, it's whatever, you know drugs, Shopping. whatever. Yes, whatever that weakness is that makes that those bad feelings go away. Well, that's what it is. Um, the cure is the same, and the root is the same. The, but the surface is completely, you know, I think they're miles apart. But here's someone who just shops all the time, or here's one that gambles all the time, or here's one that looks at pornography. They're, they're, they're identical, except for how they pursue or what 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 that outlet is for them. So I was five, Uh, I don't remember a lot. Uh, I remember feeling, uh, I remember feeling dirty a lot when I was a little boy Um, and I would talk and I'd swear sometimes it would make me feel that way. Um, And always, always, always had a crush on a girl. I mean, always from kindergarten forward. No, I was in love with, no, it was preschool. I remember being in love with my teacher (laughs) in preschool. And, uh, and it wasn't like a cute little thing. It was like, I'm literally crazy about this girl or whatever. Right. Anyway. Um, so that went through elementary school, uh, junior high, I discovered hormones and that was (laughs) like gas onto a fire. And then I was coming across or being encountered with girls every day that were actually starting to develop. And that was like freaking me out. And, um, in a bad way, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a poor, b- a bad thoughts way. And then in, uh, it just got worse through high school. Pornography wasn't a big thing though. When I was a kid, it was mainly thoughts. I mean, cause pornography really, I mean, it existed, but the internet didn't exist. And, uh, you had to be so old to buy pornography, um, which I wasn't, but thoughts definitely were out of control and, and, uh, making out and different things with girls, um, I was able to keep it at bay pretty much, um, but so it didn't get really out of control. And and I and and I have to describe that to one of the one of the the steps in the twelve steps that I was living. I didn't realize it, but it saved me. Um, but really, it was just this continuous continuous um, barrage of thoughts and and bad desires and and just wanting that, that feel good, right? That, 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 that soothing uh, feelings because I felt so uncomfortable and there's always spikes and I've learned now on this side of it, I understand what those spikes are because I'm fine. I'm doing good. You know, there might be a month, you know, or might be three months when I was a kid or youth that I wouldn't have any problems. And then, you know, and where did this come from? I was doing so well. I thought I had this always on control. And and now I'm such a loser. I can't believe I gave in again, you know, and um, I always wanted to be a good person. And I would go into uh, my bishop every time I acted out. It didn't matter if I acted out a week before i would just meet with him and say, i said i need to meet you need to meet with you again because i, I didn't i wanted so desperately to overcome this but i didn't even know what was wrong with me i didn't know i had an addiction um i just thought in the lack of a better word i just thought i was just a horn dog <laughs> and i thought if i get married everything's good right anyway um i did i did go on a mission for my church and um and went and went the right way, and had worked everything out with my my ecclesiastical uh, leader, and then ended up struggling a little bit on my mission, but not very much. It was pretty good, and then I came home, and I had I was free. You know, I'm I'm over 21, and I have no companion next to me. <laughs> I really, oh my gosh, uh, the battles. I won I want a bunch of battles, but I I lost. A lot of battles, and and my confidence all this time is is going down, right? Because it's just a direct correlation, right? When the more I give into it, the worse I feel about myself, and so I just would go down and spiral down, and and uh, then I would try different things. I would try wearing a bracelet to remind me. I try, um, uh, like I said, meeting with my my bishop every week, just whatever I could think of. Um, and I wasn't really creative. I mean, we always say, I've tried everything. And I realized, no, we tried three or four or five things. <laughs> but I did try a bunch of different stuff. I remember fasting every single time I acted out, I would fast. And my mom's like, You're fasting again? What are you doing? It's like, Yeah, I was fasting because I was too embarrassed to talk about it. Um, and so I would fast and I would fast and uh, just desperately wanting to do get away from this, but didn't know how. So, um,
0: Lane, can I ask you about just for mothers that are listening and grandmothers? um, You said you were embarrassed, so you probably didn't talk to your mom and dad a lot, but what as parents can we do if we have a a son or a daughter that is feeling these feelings you're having and not really knowing where they're coming from? What, looking back now, what would you tell us? What, what would we say?
1: Well, I came from a a family where we had no money and my parents, we had, there was no sex in my parents' life. <laughs> right. And come to find out there was a lot of money and there was plenty of that going on. But it was just taboo. We didn't talk about those things at all. I mean, zero. And, you know, you ask if our kids are going through that or having feelings. They all are they're all having, even, even if they're not on the, on the uh, addiction level, right? They're still experiencing, they're going through puberty. They're experiencing those feelings. Things are happening. And it's just an open conversation. And I'm really grateful that my wife and I were able to talk through it when our children were getting older. We're like, okay, you got to have a talk. And we discussed how we were going to have the talk. And my, our son is, he's the oldest. And, and so um, we, I took them on a camping trip and we had a talk and That never, ever, ever happened. I found out about everything through the grapevine, through kids at school or movies or whatever uh, about sex and masturbation and everything. I didn't know anything about it. I just learned through all the wrong channels. And so um, I just think to have that open conversation, um, I do think there was problems with my dad and that's why, and maybe even more problems, I don't know. And I think that's why, because I remember after my mission, going to them and saying, I'm in a lot of trouble. I really need help. And they never talked to me again about it.
0: So you had told them after your mission, but it just never came up again.
1: They didn't bring it up. Cause I, I really think my dad was struggling at the time and he didn't know how to, he didn't know what to do. Right. So, uh-huh. and, uh, I don't know if my mom felt like it was her place or not, but, and I don't know if she knew anyway. Um, I can't fault them for it, but just to be open and say, look, this is what you're going to experience. And these are the feelings you're going to have. And this is what the world's saying. And let me tell you where that will take you. If you decide to do that, you know, it's just like fire. Fire is wonderful. Fire is warming fire. gives life, right? And we can cook on it. We can warm ourselves and everything. And we can kill a lot of people and destroy cities and buildings and everything else. And so having that conversation and talking to them regularly uh about that and checking in with them and saying look i just want to check in i know that that this is a big thing and today pornography is rampant and da and well what's pornography and, you know if you have that open dialogue you can explain it and these are where people are trying to say uses people that do bad pictures to help you stimulate things where you shouldn't be feeling until you know you're in a marriage and different things like that. So that would be my biggest big advice is just open the dialogue and let it stay open. And let your kids ask the questions. And you might say, I don't know the answer to that, but let's talk about it. Or, or let me think about that. Cause they might ask you something. You're like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Are you kidding? Cause they might hear, they're going to hear something. Right. And if it's right. open enough, I love, I love, uh, father 10 boom. I don't know if you're familiar with the 10 booms, um, mm-hmm. Corey. Hiding place. Mm-hmm. and Corey is on the train with her dad and she says, Hey dad, what sucks in? She's like eight years old, right? And he's like, God, oh, guys, bro, I can't wait to meet him. Anyways, he says, he says, Corey, pick up my bag. And he was a watchmaker, right? Or, or, and he had a watch shop and everything. And so she goes to, and he knows she can't pick it up. She can't even get it off the ground. It has all his tools and instruments and, and stuff. And he's like, that's like sex sin. It's too heavy for you right now you can't lift it. So let me just keep carrying it till you're older. And then, and then we can talk about it. So it's not like, let's change the subject and not talk about it. He addressed it and he let her know this is, this is, this is serious, but, but because he was so consistent, right? And that's the way he was. She says, that was it. I, I didn't have to question it at all. I completely trusted my dad and I knew that he was right. And we could talk about it another day. And they did.
0: So, after your mission and you have some of those feelings and you go to your parents, but it never comes up again, how did you move forward? and then, when you met uh, your wife Audrey? So can you share a little bit about that?
1: well I went I met I met my wife Audrey in high school in, high school, in fact, uh, as a matter of fact. Oh, and we, we dated for uh, two years, and then um, I went on my mission, and Audrey was like, she just, she boggles my mind. She, <laughs> she just is so perfect for me. She was like stylish. She was super good looking. She was fit and all the things, but she was a rock. i mean a rock. And you know, it's really interesting because I met with, I was telling you, like I told you, I was meeting with my Bishop regularly and he's like, Blaine, one, t- one time in one of the interviews, he's like, Blaine, I think you need to get a girlfriend. Now you tell me what Bishop in his right mind would tell someone like me under the conditions I explained to get a girlfriend. <laughs> so then he says, how about this girl? I was like, no, <laughs> I'll take care of it. Anyway, I find Audrey, I mean, within a month and I just fall head over heels. And um, she's the one that helped me with step, step uh, 11. And that's what kept me clean for so long. And that was like, do you, it's, it's, it's maintaining a contact with God on a regular basis, um, and increase, improving our contact with him. And so she's like, well, do you read your scriptures every day? And I said, no, should I, <laughs> we, we grew up in the same religion, right? And I'm 16 or 17 years old. And I was like, I'm supposed to read every day. It's like, you don't read every day. So, uh, I was crazy about her. So I wanted to impress her. So I've missed like 10 days since then. So 33 years and i've missed maybe 10 days and it's completely saved me i know it would have spiraled completely out of control but because i had that constant influx of god in my life and his spirit it countered all this evil that and this this uh natural way not i shouldn't say natural but the way that i had whatever i was whatever i was uh what's the word um whatever influenced me or whatever when I was a child that that sent me down that path that really, really countered it. So then I went on my mission and right before I got home and I got about six months left, I got a letter from Audrey saying that she was going on on a mission herself. And so we were apart for three years. So I dated when I got back and that's when I told my parents I'd been dating and I was getting concerned, (laughs) really concerned that I might really mess things up. Uh, and so I went to them and they couldn't, that I already told you what happened there. And then, um, and then my brother was going to get married and I really wanted to go to his, his wedding and, and, you know, in our, in our faith that you can get married in the temple and you have to be worthy, meaning you have to live certain commandments. And I really wanted to go and I couldn't go at the time. And my Bishop worked out a plan where I could go if I, if I was abstinent and I did, you know, I did some serious repenting and stuff. And so I did that. Um, well, while I was in the process of doing that, Audrey comes home and, uh, we fall madly in love again and we're engaged. And so my brother got married in December, December 17th. And then we got married on January 15th and I told Audrey, she knew what was going on. And we both were absolutely convinced that marriage would solve the problem and it would be done. And it didn't, we had a lot of problems <laughs> the first five years. I guess Audrey had a lot of problems. I had the same problems, but I was the cause of those problems. So, um, you know, I always joked that I had, she had to see the bitter to appreciate the sweet. <laughs> it's not a very funny joke because <laughs> boy, it was bitter for a while. It didn't solve the problem because the problem isn't the fact that there's pornography. The problem isn't the fact that there's there's uh, beautiful women out there. That's not the problem. The problem is in here. And in your brain with yeah and how to cope and i'm feeling out of sorts i don't know how to when i'm feeling like this this, i don't know how to describe it other than this, this tension feeling this tension inside of me and i'm being pulled and i have to get relief i don't even realize that's going on i just like oh my heck i it's i say it's like okay what do you want for breakfast right what what pornography inner site internet site do you want to get on it's almost like that the the, the feelings of of of, of the, 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 the tension is so great that you, that soothing just the thought of getting on pornography makes me feel better. So it's not a question if I'm going to get on, I'm getting, I mean, there's no, I'm, I I don't even think it through. I'm just on all of a sudden I'm on and I'm looking. And then when I'm done, I feel like a loser. I feel worse than I did before. I don't have that tension because it's, it's alleviated. For a little bit but I, I i lost my train of thought i've lost the tension basically for for a short period of time but that but that that need is so great and that just keeps cutting that comes back and then it might disappear like i said before for a month or two or three but i didn't know what caused it and i do now
0: so blaine what is it about some of um our minds that see pornography and literally shun it like, we don't want anything to do with it. We stay away from it. Um, there, and when we feel tension, we go to something else. If it's food, if it's whatever, I don't know. Um, what is it then? What is it in the brain that causes some individuals, like in your brain, to say, this is the route I've got to go to feel that tension release and feel better and feel comforted and then feel like crap? So what, what is
1: it? I don't know. I don't know that answer i can i can guess you know the abused goes back to the abuser why i mean we have there's countless stories of the abuser going the the abused going back to the abuser you're like you're kidding me right you're setting yourself up to get hit again right or um, you're really going to drink again but but there was a time i think in the history that that warped things and it went to a particular, whatever, right. It was, it was the, the, get the quick fix. It was a little comment that the parent made about we're broke. We never have any money. And so now this this, I gotta get money. I gotta get money. I gotta get money. And I got it or, or whatever. Right. Or I saw this thing at a, at, at, at the wrong time in my life and it had this horrible impression on me. But for some reason, I go back to that, to get that it, it creates these soothing feelings. So I don't, I don't really know the answer. That's just kind of my guess. Kind of just a guess what what would be causing that. But there is something in the past that lends somebody to that. Now I do know that there was there was sexual problems in my. With my dad and with some of my extended family, so I'm sure mine probably stemmed from that. I know people with eating disorders that a lot of time their parents have eating disorders, right? Or alcoholics will, or they do the flip, right? You have the alcoholic, the next generation does, they won't even touch a drop, and then the next one, they go all out. It's like, oh yeah, I want to try. It's part of it hereditary. I don't think so. My personal opinion is it's just kind of learned, right? They just see it. That's what they're around. That's what the people talk about and stuff. I could be wrong, but that's my guesstimate. Is that, is that too? No, vague?
0: no, no, no. Cause I think, I mean, that's how I feel inside. I, I don't really even know why certain brains are drawn to it and why others say, I don't want anything to do with this, or they've looked at it for years because they grew up with it. Um, I know individuals that grew up, um, viewing pornography. And then when they found the gospel and decided to uh, join the church and be baptized, they literally just walked away from it in a day.
1: Yeah. But that's not an addictive person. I had a friend and, you know, I told him in confidence, he's like, I was like, I don't know why I'm telling you this. He's like, well, cause I struggle with the same thing. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> so I told him, yeah, I'm an addict. And I said, you should really check in. He's like, I'm not an addict. And I said, you're not. He said, no. I said, well then stop. It's like, what do you mean? I said, don't ever look at it again. If you're not an addict, you don't need to ever to look at it again. And he did, <laughs> he hasn't gone back to stop. it in years because he didn't, he wasn't doing it. He was single at the time, more difficult, right? It's just and he'd already been married, so he'd been divorced. Um, so that's much more difficult, but yeah, the, the, the true addict wants to stop but can't stop. They don't know how to stop. And they're in, they're doing it. And they're like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this again? I'm such a loser. I can't believe I would do this while they do it. It's this vicious, horrendous. It's those flaxen cords that are wrapped around your neck and you just can't breathe. And you're like, God, what am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this? You know i'm 25 or now i'm 30 and i'm 35 and i got six kids what am i going to do And you're freaking out and then you turn 40 and you think i'm going to hell this is my story i'm going to hell i know i'm going to hell because i'm very clear what's right and what's wrong and i desire wrong i don't have charity it's obvious because charity suffer long and long desires is- no evil mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. i desire evil and so I, I'm not going to go through that 20 years of history, but basically it was till 40 that I would be in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. And I would be on top of the world. I got this conquered and then, and what in the world would it come from hit me from totally from, you know, blindsided. I thought at the time. And, uh, so when I was 40, I, uh, I w- I got humbled. I, I read a book It was just a a series of events, of God-directed events. I was taking a class. Now, believe me, things had gotten a lot better, and they had gotten better because I distracted myself. I started studying the classics, and uh, I just loved them. And I would listen to them, and I drove a lot for work. And I would listen to the classics as I drove, and they would pull me in. So I was listening to, I remember listening to War and Peace. It was like 40 hours of listening but I would listen listen to the whole thing and Les Miserables and I mean tons and tons and tons of books, not just the huge ones a bunch of small ones and everything and so that really distracted me because it kept my mind distracted which is a great uh, coping tool it can help it's a gate management tool it's not going to solve the problem but it's definitely going to help in in the instant right um and so that was so things were getting better and better And so I was taking a class and they wanted, it was a class on C.S. Lewis, and they wanted us to read a certain book. And I said, I've read all those books. (laughs) I've read all those C.S. Lewis books you're recommending. Can I switch one out? And I said, how about this one I haven't read? They said, nope. You could read The Problem of Pain, though. And I was like, I've never read that. I'll do that. So I don't remember anything about the book. Well, from that reading, I've read it since, but... There's one line that stood out. He says, just because time has gone by, doesn't mean you've repented of a sin. You actually have to repent. Now, I don't know why that struck me so, so forcefully, because I had been in Bishop's office my whole life on a regular basis to, to confess and and to repent, but it did. And it got me thinking. And I was like, man, holy cow, (laughs) what am I going to do? And, and, uh, so my next thought was, you know what? I had to track how often I act out because it was really quite mild. And I was like, you know, I'm doing pretty dang good, but I think you probably should track. So I did. And I found a place in my phone Did I have a phone at that time. I think I did have an iPhone and, um, I had all kinds of restrictions on it. I, can, I had a computer where I could only go to six websites and I go into a com- thing and they're like, the whole that site is like, I can't, why not? I, ju- I just, I can't do that. <laughs> why can't you? I just don't have access to it because <laughs> I have a pornography problem. I couldn't say that. I was too embarrassed, but, um, but I still, and this addict, addict always finds ways around stuff. I always did, but anyway, that's a tangent. So, um, where was i i shouldn't do tangents because you were no really you said that you about. were
0: um recording the frequency yes, of- okay so
1: i'm in the iphone place, so i just put a little tally mark every time i acted out no big deal right and if it was a major act out or if it was a minor meaning if i just looked at pornography for a second or if it was much more involved then i would uh i would put a tally mark and after six or eight weeks i looked at it and I just was aghast. I it wasn't it wasn't what I was looking at, because that was much more minor in what I was being involved in, but it was the frequency that scared the life out of me. And that's where I said, I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. I know where we go. I know the T kingdoms Kingdom's got my name on it because I uh, what's going to change? What is going to change? Nothing's changed in 35 years. What's gonna change in the next 35? Nothing's gonna change. And I've tried everything, which is a lie. I think it's a lie from Satan, because once we think that, then we think, well, we really have. <laughs> we haven't, right? right? So we shut down all options. And um, it drove me to my knees. You know, you said in your last podcast that we gotta slay dragons, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Slaying a dragon, the way you slay the dragon is you get submissive. It's the only way to do it. You have to submit to God's will and it's hard. It's one of the hardest things and the most empowering thing that an individual can do. It changed everything. When I went, when I went on my knees, I would pray for 10 to 15 minutes a day. Now, usually I'll say my prayer for a couple of minutes, right? If I get a long prayer in, it was five minutes. And I changed that to about I would go at least 10 minutes, maybe 15, and I would pray morning and I would pray night. And I wouldn't miss. I remember praying at one o'clock in the afternoon. I was selling homes. I was in a model home. I'd go upstairs and start praying because I hadn't got my morning prayer in yet. And I would beg God. I would oh I would just beg and say, please, 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 God, save me. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to overcome this. I don't know how I'm trapped. I'm stuck. I, I've done this my whole life. I don't know anything else. I don't know how to get, I don't have the first clue. I even, I didn't tell you this, but I went to sexaholics anonymous right after my mission for a year or a year and a half. Didn't have a clue on so I figured nothing would work. Right. And I would, I would to God. I would say, well, you know, you promised that you're bound if we do what you say or say. And I would say, uh, if you ask anything whatsoever you ask, it shall be done unto you. So I'm asking right now and you say, pray with charity, pray that you'll have charity with all your heart. And I said, I'm praying, give me charity with all my heart, beg you, give me charity because I cause I desire evil and that's not charity. I know I don't have charity and I kept just praying for four months pleading with God that he would hear my prayers that he would save me well about three and a half months into it my wife spoke at a conference and a homeschool conference and a lady came up to her at the end of it and said thank you so much you're exactly what I needed to hear can I get in touch with you and she said well sure great so she left she's from a different state so she calls her and says I want you to come to my community and speak to them and she says, okay, when is it at? And when, what would you like me to talk about and all this stuff? And she said, just what you did or there. And da, 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 da. She's like, well, let me talk to my husband. I'll let you know. So Audrey comes to me and says, Hey, can you do it? And I said, sure. $1,500. Now that's not a lot of money. I get that, <laughs> but you know how much money we made on speaking fees prior to that big goose egg. And not only that, it was generally negative because we would Print stuff off, and it never counted for any of our time, right? Either my time watching kids or doing stuff, or her time for prepping the hour she would spend prepping for giving speeches. And this was going to be a whole day workshop that she was going to give. I said fifteen hundred dollars. She's like, no way. I said fifteen hundred dollars or i I'm not. I'm not. I'm not consenting to it. No way. And my wife's like, are you serious? I said, like, are you kidding? You've got to fly over there and you've got to take three days and blah 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 i said no way fifteen hundred dollars and so that was the very beginning of of um when we started to to form our, our, our corporation and stuff but anyway uh she told her and the lady said okay <laughs> and we're like really <laughs> so um audrey flew down there lady picked her up the airport they're in the car, and they're in the car, I don't know how long, a few minutes, my wife said, and she says, just want to let you know my husband is a recovered pornography addict. And my wife's like, huh? <laughs> Why are you telling me this? I don't even know you from Adam. And she would talk to her about it every time they had the opportunity when the two of them were together for the next, for the next two or three days which was really weird. I mean, it was weird in that they didn't know each other. And Audrey started feeling pressure to tell her about me. Now, Audrey is a saint for sure. But she'd only talked to one person in our entire marriage about my addiction. And that's because she came to me one day and said, I can't do this alone anymore. I need help. I need to talk to someone. Who can I talk to? And I was like, are you serious? <laughs> so she, uh, she talked to her mom, but that's it. Only person knew. And so she kept feeling more and more pressure to tell this lady, which went contrary to everything she'd been doing for how many years we've we been married at that time, 18 years. And finally she just gave in and it was the spirit prompting her to tell her. And the lady says, oh really? Cause she says my husband struggles with that also. She's like, oh, well, that's good. She says, if I give you a book, will you promise to read it? And we're all about books. My I was like, well, yeah. So she hands her a book. And my wife comes home and she tells me about her experience. I was like, well, that's really weird. So we start reading through the book and we get to page 59 or 60, whatever. And it says, write down everything you've ever done wrong in your entire life. Now, that would have been a better punchline, but I forgot part of the story. (laughs) Before that happened, I felt like I should write down everything I'd ever done wrong. And I did. And I told Audrey that I said, I feel like I'm supposed to write down everything I've ever done wrong. I mean, not just regarding the sexual addiction and and the pornography, but regarding um, anything like poor financial decisions, right? Or breaking up with a girl and and hurting her, right? Uh, Or whatever it was, right? And when I got the list done, I said, well, what am I supposed to do with this list, Audrey? She's like, I have no idea. You're the one that told me you're supposed to write the list. I went up in the mountains and I had the list and I was like, what am I supposed to do here? And I was like, here's the first thing. And I know it was like in kindergarten. And I was like, this is weird. This is so weird. And so I just left. And then the thing happened with the lady down there. And then we opened the book and it said, write down everything you've ever done wrong. And we were freaking out. And because
0: it was it was a like a second witness to you that your line of thinking was led by the spirit, right?
1: Yeah. And I'm really sorry. I blew the punchline on that. No, that's okay. That's exactly what happened. <clears throat> But it was this, it was a series of events. The fact that I would read The Problem with Pain, the fact that I felt like I should write everything down, the fact that, um, that Audrey recharged a speaking fee, and she actually said yes, that she felt prompted to tell Audrey about her husband, that Audrey felt prompted to tell her about me, the fact that she gave her the book, we read the book, and then it was confirmed, all that was a miracle. And it was a direct answer to my prayer. So I would go through the book, and this was the Alcoholics Anonymous book, And people will ask me, well, are you using the ARP program from our church? And I was like, well, no, because God didn't give me that book. (laughs) And, um, and I, I've been to ARP. I think the problem with the addiction recovery program, that's why it's called ARP is the stories in the book. There's no stories in the addiction recovery program. There's also no, there's no sponsorship, which I think is a, is, um, I think that's a handicap. Um, In my personal opinion plus i felt like and this wasn't against anybody it's just and it's not i'm not i don't want to talk bad about the addiction recovery program in the church because i think they do well but i think i think there's a lot of ignorance around it because they call people that don't know they don't understand it they don't know what they're going through um that's why the aa has been so successful because when someone comes in you've got the shakes it's like i was shaking there about eight months ago you know and i've changed i know exactly what you're what you're going through because i've been there i've been in the gutter you know i've snuck money to go get a drink or whatever right
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, like i tell you you're getting on and you're like why am i getting on the internet again i know this is wrong and why did i blow it why did I, am i so stupid and da 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 um so um uh, I have a tendency to do tangents and lose my train of thought. You're you're picking up on that, right?
0: Um, (laughs) Okay. Well, Blaine, I want to know this. You're 40. You have this, like, you feel like I'm going to go to hell. I have no charity. I need help. Audrey has this experience where this woman that she doesn't even know confides in her at this time, were you getting your degree in man, marriage and family therapy? Were you, what was transforming for you that really made you decide I've got to, I'm going to change this and I'm going to figure this out to not return to this.
1: We decided to go back to school. Meaning me. And so I was finishing up a bachelor's degree at the time. Okay. I'm pretty sure I was going to go into some type of counseling, uh, master's degree because I wanted to help people, but, um in, in that way. Right. Um, I think all professions can be helpful or most, but I wanted to help people feel better and be, and, and, and be better, be, be their best selves. Um, but really what happened was as I was voraciously going through the book, I was scared to death that it wouldn't work and had this hope that it might work because God sent it to me. And that's, that's the only thing that gave me the hope going through the book was nothing. I mean, the essay book, sexaholics anonymous book is actually based on some false principles because <laughs> they talk about halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Those aren't triggers. None of, none of those are triggers. And so you can be hungry. You'd be starving. And if you don't fall into the real triggers, you're fine. You're not going to act out. And so I'm reading this book and that's why I was hopeful because God had sent it to me but still scared to seth that it wouldn't work and i'd be chained for the rest of my life so i called the guy and asked if he could sponsor me the lady that gave my wife my wife the book her husband okay he says he says he can't why I was like he says he couldn't so i'm on my own and i'm flying solo and so i'm trying to read between the lines trying to figure everything out backwards and forwards I've just studied every single day, a section and try to, and then I would go through the step and then I would read more stories and, um, and stories were actually very beneficial. They actually helped me figure some things out in the end that I couldn't figure out because I read people's because I mean, the book is two thirds of it's just people's, their personal witnesses that the the program works and what they struggled with in their own story, kind of like the story. I mean, if we write a story, this would be my story, right. In the book. Right. I'm explaining. And, um, So I'm going through each step, just doing it as wholeheartedly as I can. I don't want to scrimp. And I remember getting to step five. Step five is a big one because then you have to confess everything. Step four is you write everything down. Step five is you confess it to God, to yourself and to another individual. I'm okay with God because I don't see him in the room, right? (laughs) And I'm okay with myself because I've taken responsibility for that. But to tell a third person, now you say well you've been telling bishops your whole life i told bishops most things
0: but you didn't <laughs> but tell them always time.
1: well it was too embarrassing right right i didn't and i kind of hinted but i didn't go all the way right so i made the list and i went in to my bishop and i said i want to clear everything up and uh he scared me to death he's like well let me let me talk to the state president i was like huh <laughs> I was like, I'm just, I, this was years ago. I'm just trying to get clean. You go, right? I freak. I can't stress. Really i stress. I was because <laughs> Audrey still didn't know. She thought things were better. I ended up telling her about the book and everything and the, and the miracles and everything. And uh, we laugh at it now, but it wasn't funny back then. <laughs> but anyways, and he's like, oh, you're fine. When we got together, we met back together. He said, you're fine and stuff like that. But um, then I remember being on I don't want to talk negatively about ARP, but it was like going to a funeral. It was so depressing. And I'd go there and it's like, this is so depressing. We should be excited. We should be, we should be on top of the world. This is really We're really getting free of this long life addiction. And I remember, so I start calling into them because they had some you could call in this was pre-COVID days. Yep. And I called in and there was one on the East Coast. I got on and this guy was in there talking and he said, I finally said, that's it i'm gonna tell every little tiny thing i've ever done the exact same thing i did and he says after he was freed and that's what happened to me by time i got to step nine and nine is eight is you you make a list of people you've hurt and nine you go back and i was going back to people in high school i remember reaching out to a girl and she's like oh my heck blaine are you still carrying this all these years later will you just forget about it i forgive you let it go But i wanted so badly to be clean that i didn't want to miss any steps i did i wanted to do it perfectly i didn't do it perfectly um because after i finished step nine i was freed the first time in my life in my memory that i could remember not being compelled i could see a naked woman a beautiful naked woman and it wouldn't trigger me And you say that's impossible I, well, I'm I'm a proof of a miracle because it was possible and actually happened to me. Um, actually, I thought that I saw a naked woman, but you okay. know what I mean. I, <laughs> I was gonna say, sorry, <laughs> I wasn't looking at naked. Let's go back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I could see, you know, I mean, normally something that would set me off. You now it's not a trigger; it's just something that sets you off, and the trigger is already going on. That was the thing that just was like the catalyst. There's a difference. Um, but it would really get me, it would just, whoa. And I'd be, I got to get on the internet. I got to, you know what I mean? Or, or I got to get on pornography. But that, it, it wouldn't be that way. And I was like in a bubble. I really felt like I was in this impenetrable bubble and I would just go down and I would, and I mean, cause I looked for years, you know, look at women when they, whatever, walking or whatever. And uh, I didn't want to, and there's plenty of battles when I didn't. I'm not saying I was like a pervert, but it was always a temptation. And it was always the want to go look right. And I would, and there's plenty of times I wouldn't, and I would fight it and fight it and fight it. It was always a fight. The fight was gone. There was no fight. It was just the whole thing had been taken away from me
0: after step nine.
1: Yes. So I figured out that there's the steps are broken up into categories. And this is something I just figured out. I've never heard it, but the first three are submission.
0: And I wrote these, I I printed the steps out. So the first, do you mind if I just go through, do you want to just do one, two, three really quick? And so, Okay.
1: okay. Let me grab my book. It's right here.
0: Okay. And I'll just start. So first step is we admit that we are powerless and that our lives have become unmanageable. Step two is we be, we come to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And step three is. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him.
1: Yes. That step one is crucial and you have to admit it. If you're going to justify it away, even if you're a heterosexual, if you're going to justify or rationalize away way that I'm just that way, all guys look at it. I remember having one woman tell me, you all the guys look at the little magazines. Like, <laughs> you have any idea what you just said? It's not little magazines. This stuff is hardcore. Uh, from Satan. It's, it's evil. It's just wrong. And every sense of the word, it, it ruins women's lives and it ruins it. It, uh, it ruins, uh, it will ruin a sex life between a husband and a wife. Um, actually, there's lots of pornography addicts that after they, they, they um, quit being involved that actually their sex life will actually come back. They become impotent is what's going on at young ages. And so, um, so it's just destructive. It ruins their confidence. It ruins their self-respect. I mean, it, there's so many bad layers. That's why it's just, it's just evil. And so I hope people don't get mad at me. I mean, they can if they want, but it, it's a fact. Step one is huge. It doesn't matter if you're hetero or homosexual. You have to admit you have a problem and you can't overcome it uh, on your own. You need a power greater than yourself because you can't do it. I mean, I tried. I just couldn't do it. And my, and my friend who'd said, well, I won't work it on anymore, didn't. He didn't have that. That's not his weakness. He has other, everyone has their weakness, right? Because God gives right. us weaknesses mm-hmm. to make us strong. Mm-hmm. So uh, step two, uh, we believe that a power greater than ourselves could actually do it. First one's unmanageable, right? We can't handle lies. Meaning, you now it's on an alcoholic, right? You're living in the gutter. <laughs> You've lost your house because you've you, you know, and you've lost because you've lost your job because you keep coming up to showing up to work drunk and all that stuff. So you've really completely ruined your life. It's easier as a sex addict to hide it. Now, some people don't. Some people get put in prison because they let it go and they let it go. And I don't think they're countering it like I was countering it with script daily scriptures and, and regular church attendance. They just kind of give in. And so they end up with prostitutes or they end up whatever and they end up in prison. Um and so their lives become unmanageable. But I think a lot of the sex addicts and pornography acts, it is unmanageable, right? Because it's interfering with their daily course of life. They can't do what they, I mean, there was plenty of times when I didn't have time. And three hours later, I think, what in the world did I do? Why? I just wasted three hours of my life in in filth, you know? So it does become unmanageable. We have to admit that too, God can is a power greater than can can restore sanity which really is isn't insane that we would go to the lengths and we'd spend the time and we'd sneak and do all the things we that's insanity <laughs> and trying to get away with it right so that's why they they say that in 3 made a decision to turn our will over to his life of our lives over to him and that means what he says we do that's huge i don't know if 1 or 3 is harder but it's it's uh, they're both hard Um, and two is hard too because we lost so much self-respect and so much confidence that we're like, well, sure. God can do it, but why would he do it for me? I'm a total loser, you know? So we have to, we're like, no, God loves all of us, even in our horrible States. Right. And he wants to rescue us. That's why there's an atonement of Jesus Christ. And it goes to the lowest of the low. rescue and he will rescue but so that's the problem with step two but those first three are the submissions i call it the submission phase or submission stage where we submit to god and we admit that we have a problem and then the next uh six steps are the maintenance sorry not maintenance the repentance uh if i'm working with people that don't believe in god which doesn't quite work because (laughs) of step three, uh, a higher power, then, um, we have to call them not repentance. We have to call them cleaning up the cleanup stage. (laughs) Either way, it's the same thing.
0: Right. And so the next, um, six are about repentance and you want, I do care if I read them number four. We made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Number five, we admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Number six, we are entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Number seven, we humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Number eight, we made a list of all the persons we've harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. And number nine, we made direct amends to each, to such person, to such people wherever possible, except when we do so and to do so would injure them or others. Okay. So then go ahead.
1: I said, that's it. That, that, that is a, that, I mean, if you really do three correctly, those are a lot easier. They're hard. Now I remember doing step five and I was, I was really intimidated with step five. And, um, but I came out feeling on fire and feeling empowered.
0: Who did you um, share? It says we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact well, I, nature of our wrongs. I
1: did. I, I think I probably chose the wrong person. And if I had a sponsor, they probably could have helped me, or a therapist, or someone that could have helped me walk through that because it was a friend. And I think it was probably too close of a friend. And we haven't really interacted much. I think it kind of blew his mind. <laughs> now, if there was something more serious that needed ecclesiastical, I didn't tell that to a friend. I went to my bishop and told him all those things, but anything that was less than that was more minor. I told my friend and um, so I probably picked the wrong person. Um, So I'm really careful when I'm working with people to make sure that it's not close, you know, never spouse, never parent, never child ever. (laughs) I don't think in a million years Uh, and no one that you're going to affect, but someone that you have to trust that's going to. And and they go through they do a good thing, job in the book of explaining how to do these steps pretty good. but it's really the, the whole the whole crux is now that you've really it's a spiritual disease right? Addiction is a spiritual disease. If you want to call it a disease, it's definitely spiritual and that's why the antidote is to get spiritually this God and, and, and so they go through here and like like number nine made to recommend to so to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. See, one of the triggers for addicts is selfishness. And that's like, I don't know if dishonesty, selfishness, or, or resentment, <laughs> those are huge. I don't know which one takes first place, but we're always thinking about ourselves. And um, now we're not. So when we go to apologize some let's say we abused some guy abused his daughter for years, right? And now he's gotten clean, and he's going to go show on her doorstep, and say, "Hey, will you forgive me? I'm so sorry." No way. You know what I mean? It's going to destroy her. She's got finally got a life put together. Or, I mean, that, that's a possibility, right? So you have to be very careful. You're thinking about the other person. They keep saying they're beautiful phrases they put in here. that say we would go to any lengths, any lengths, to do what we have to do to become clean. And. We're thinking about other people all the time. We're not thinking about ourselves. And and after we do it, after we do step five, we sit down and we go through our, the first five steps and say, did we do them with all our heart? I mean, it's just beautiful how they say we are submissive, we are submitting. That's how you slay the dragon. You're submissive to God, and these steps it just take you through the repentance process. And you are you really going to do it correctly? And if you do, you're freed. You don't have to do all twelve. You only have to do nine. And you are, so what about of-
0: the last three then Blaine? Those are,
1: those are maintenance steps.
0: Okay. So, but I also want you to talk about your exam, like what you, um, the tools that you say when somebody has come to a place where they have abandoned it, but they might have a relapse. There are things that you see that re- with resentment, dishonesty, fear, self selfishness, and self pity. So will you talk a little bit about that in conjunction with Absolutely. the 12 steps?
1: Well, that's when I had my first relapse and talk about panic stricken. I mean, cause I'd had four months of like, I'm in this bubble and I'm free. And then I'm driving down the street and I see this woman. I was like, wow, she looks great. And I was like, oh, what's going on? And I, it, was, it almost took my breath away. I was scared. I mean, really scared what to do, what to do, what to do. And so I started praying. Now, if I would have been more submissive, it just wouldn't, I wouldn't have relapsed. And I can admit that scene now in hindsight. Um, I I panicked. (laughs) Um, And then uh, as I was repenting after my relapse, I asked God what happened. And I, I remember my manager at work had said something and I had all this resentment that went up. And the second that resentment skyrocketed, it was like, okay, what do you want for breakfast? You know, which which pornography do you want to look at? It's, it's, it's that almost that strong at times. Sometimes it's not, but sometimes you're like, wait a minute, why am I having all these thoughts? Why am I, you know what I mean? Because I had it, but my insides can feel that tension again, right? I've done something wrong to create that tension and that tension needs to be smoothed out. It's gotta be soothed. It's got to be taken care of. So how do I do it? Well, you mentioned the four and I, I added a fifth to it.
0: Well, didn't you uh, resentment, dishonesty, fear, selfishness, and self-pity, right?
1: Right. I added self-pity. Self-pity is a fifth one they don't talk about. Okay. But I added that because I was like, um, well, there's gotta be a fix, right? If there's now, obviously what's there's got to be an antidote to each one of these, right? So what's the antidote to dishonesty, you think?
0: Honesty. <laughs> I've already, I've already listened to your stuff.
1: <laughs> Everyone gets that one. <laughs> Even if you don't listened to it, it was like, well, the honesty, right? And yeah. So I was like, okay, well, that makes sense. I've got to be totally honest. And in, in an AA, they always say you're only as sick as your secrets, right? Because if you're keeping secrets, you're being dishonest. And and the dishonesty can be like not telling all the truth. The dishonesty is trying to appear different and da da da.
0: So yeah. So Blaine, I want you to give examples with each one of like uh, in an addictive brain. So that you just gave one with the dishonesty, being honest, like not having the secrets. So oh, it's easy.
1: Yep. My wife, we're laying in bed at night. She's like, "So how you doing?" I'm saying, Good, "Great." She's like, "Have you been on pornography lately?" No. I was on yesterday but I lied because I didn't want to break her heart again. And I'm just a fractionalized in my mind. Well, it's okay, because things are all better. And I don't want her to feel broken hearted right. or I was on, or I was on two weeks ago, or I'm scared to death. So she's going to ask me because I was on today. <laughs> and I try to avoid those conversations and try to avoid the places where she could ask me. So I don't have to lie. Um, it could be, it, it doesn't matter what it is. It's any type of dishonesty. You can cheat on your taxes. Well, there you go. And you can say, well, the government's doing this. And I agree. <laughs> it was really hard to pay taxes this year, <laughs> but whatever it is, right. If it's dishonest, it will trigger you. Okay. If you're an addict. Okay. 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 So the next one. What What do you have on it?
0: I wrote down resentment. I've resentment. got resentment. Yeah.
1: You know, addicts are oozing. It's probably the wrong word, but it's probably grosser than that with resentment, right? I could resent someone at the drop of a hat. I could resent people that didn't even do anything intentionally to hurt me. I just misinterpreted the situation and I'm full of resentment. I can't stop. What a pig. I can't believe they do that. Blah 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 blah. And I'm a I'm a card carrying Christian and have been my whole life. <laughs> but I was I just was so upset with how dare they do this. Um, when I was going through the repentance process I you list all the people you've hurt too. I mean, all the people you resent, and I listed. Uh, I had politicians on there that I, I knew they knew better, right? And I don't know them. I've never even met them. I just know what kind of things they're backing, and I know it's going contrary to true principles of government and economics. Um, matter of fact, it was like Christmas, what they were doing back then compared to what they're doing today, <laughs> but I see it. And. Or I knew it because I had a good enough education, and I knew the laws, the principles of government that they were they were breaking. And and my wife said, "So you're telling me, if you grew up in his same home, and his same parents, and same teachers, same influences, you would have done different than they did." I said, "Absolutely, absolutely." She's like, "You are so full of garbage. You cannot say that." I said, "Yes, I can." And I just did. I would never do what they did. She's like, "You don't know that." She was right, but I fought her for a while. And eventually I caved in and said, I don't know that. And so what do you think the antidote, I'm going to put you on the spot. What do you think the antidote is to, to uh, resentment? Love. A form of love, yes. Okay. It's forgiveness. Forgiveness. So I had to forgive these politicians. And I remember one time I was feeling, this was like two years ago. And I was feeling a lot of resentment started building up against politicians. And the thought came to my mind. I was like, oh, what am I going to do? I can't do this. And I prayed and said, pray for them." And I was like, no way. <laughs> I'm not praying for those scums. I don't want them to have any blessings. And, but it was clear, pray for your enemies. And I prayed for them. And my heart just melted and softened. And I was able to forgive them again. And the resentment disappeared. Disappeared like that. So that soul soothing feelings we're talking about that soothed it, but it soothed it in the right way, and the need to act out it was gone again. And- okay, and and
0: I, that's what I want to make clear too, Blaine. That these these steps that you use in your coaching and therapy, right? Am I am I speaking right when I say that these are the steps mm-hmm. you use when yes. people are in um, recovery you're saying that if you have a client come to you and say, Blaine, I relapsed. You can usually pinpoint one of these five areas that they had the relapse that involved the relapse. Is that correct? No, No.
1: I, no, I absolutely can. It doesn't matter. I've never had someone say something that didn't go back to one of the five every single time. Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. I think it's this, I was like, no, let's go a little bit deeper. Every time we get to dishonesty, resentment, fear, fear is humongous, by the way. And let's talk about Uh, that. Uh, I was scared to death, (laughs) scared. I was taught to be fearful and I really lacked faith for years. And I think part of the reason I lacked faith was, was my, um, lack of obedience. I think obedience creates faith or augments faith. Right. And so it was a, it was a spiral, um, and I would fight it and I would have doubts. Oh my heck, talk about doubts and fear. And doubts and fears are simultaneous, right? Doubt right. not, fear not. And uh, I remember I sold real estate for quite a few years, and I remember telling my wife, nothing's selling. Now I've learned that Satan's an incredible liar. He's the father of all lies, right? He is the perfect liar. When he tells us, when he lies to us, he's so good, we think it's our own thought right? We think, well, nothing's selling. Well, that's not my thought. That comes from Satan. And worse than that, we'll say stuff like, I am a loser. Now, Satan doesn't say you are a loser. He says, I am a loser. And in our minds, and we repeat, well, I am a loser. And we think it's our own thought. He's brilliant as far as an evil, whatever, right? And so, but the fear is, is crippling. The fear is crippling. And obviously the antidote to fear is faith. And so I have I haven't found I, I haven't found an exception to this yet. There might be one, but I don't think there is. It's kind of like the snowflakes. You don't see every snowflake, but you know that you've, everyone you've looked at isn't the same, so they're all different. Inside every fear is a is a hard nut, which is a lie. And that lie destroys. Now there's truth, right? There was truth that homes had slowed sales in homes had slowed down at the time. And when I said there's nothing selling, right? That wasn't true. It is true that things had slowed down, but things were still uh, still selling. And what we did is my wife said, look, go and do a search and see how many homes have sold in the last 30 days. And there was like in my geographic area where I sold, there was like 150 homes. Well, I only need one of those, <laughs> right? Like every month or every other month in order to provide for my family and so it was ir- it was irrational which fear is always irrational right um but it's just crippling when people get into those fears and they don't think logically and they tell and here's the worst thing we start telling ourselves stupid things like nothing's selling and we tell ourselves lies and we say them out loud and then we then we get more and more convinced i remember working one time at a detox center and the guy i heard this guy start yelling and yelling and i was like what is going on and i walked out there and it's one of my guys and, uh, I was like, what is going on? He's like, oh my gosh. He's like, I have to walk. We were in Arizona. He's like, I got to walk back to Connecticut. I was like, you gotta walk back to Connecticut. He's like, yes, because they're not, they're, they're not letting me out of here. And so uh, my, I'm not gonna get my plane ticket and, and da, 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 da And, and then I'm, and, and I can't afford a plane ticket. So I'm gonna have to walk. I mean, he'd gone from here all the way out of control. Cause he was so controlled by fear and like, in like a few seconds, and then I was like, "You're getting out of here today." He's like, "I am." I said, "Yes, you are." I said, "I'll go double check." I went double check. Yeah, you're leaving in an hour, but he got into the fear. Now, if he wasn't in the detox center, I promise you, he would have been drinking at that point because he had those. He was feeling so much tension inside; he had to soothe that. So, we have to bolster our our faith. We have to bolster our faith, and we do that through. Um, through preparation because when you're prepared you shall not fear and we do it through we do it through reason we think logically about stuff and fear is never logical it's completely illogical so we have to slow down and 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 pace ourselves or or work through it until we can say okay this is what's going on now it may not be as pretty as, as you think but it's definitely not as evil and dark as you think because that's the lie you
0: know what blaine it just got me thinking um my podcast that I did on pornography last week, remember Moroni, he built pickets and timbers and dug deep ditches and towers. He layered, he layered it up and he was prepared. It wasn't that the Lamanites weren't going to come get them. They were going to come get them, but he literally did a preparatory levels knowing that it's going to happen, but we're not going to fear. We're going to have faith and we're going to get everything prepped and ready. We're going to have stones and arrows. We're going to do everything we can to prepare us for this battle, if it happens and when it happens. Yes. So I love that, that we, we, you know, if you are prepared, you shall not fear. It's, it's obtaining layers of protection so that we don't let fear overcome us.
1: But it's a lot more things than just spiritual protection, which is absolutely the most important, right? But if you don't have savings, right, you're going to fear, right? Yeah. If, and if you don't have food storage, or if you don't have, uh, if you haven't built good relationships, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're not, you, you and all of a sudden your spouse dies and not, you're completely alone in the world because you don't have any other relationship. You've got to be prepared. You have to know what's going on and you have to. And so it takes productivity. It takes being anxiously engaged in, in good things.
0: Yes. Okay. Selfishness. Let's talk about selfishness that I wrote down as the fourth, but you might have it in a different order.
1: (laughs) Well, it's just whatever. I don't remember which ones. I always forget them. I always forget (laughs) each one it seems like, but anyway, um, well two, it's very core It's selfish. You know, I asked one of my clients one time, um, is it selfish to look at pornography? And he's like, well, I was like, well, (laughs) this isn't good boating. Well, we're already off to a bad start. (laughs) Because how do you know, literally, how do you know that that woman doesn't have a gun pointing to her head that's three feet away, right out of range of camera and if she doesn't do what she's supposed to do she's going to get shot, because a third of I heard a third of the women in pornography are slaves. You know, is that thinking of her? No, you're <laughs> thinking of number one, right? We're thinking of what the feelings it can produce in us. We're not thinking, we're like, oh, I'm thinking of the girl because I'm looking at, it. no, you're not thinking of her. If you're thinking of her. You'd get on your knees and pray to God and you'd do whatever you could to get her out of that situation. That's what you would do if you were really thinking of her. So it's very selfish. You're not thinking of your spouse or your future spouse. You're not thinking of your children or your future children you're not thinking of your friend or your colleague at work that you could help but you can't help because you're coming to church or i mean you come into work kind of stoned if if I, if you will because you just looked at pornography and you're high on pornography and you don't have god's spirit with you you can't influence you can't pick up on little things that you could do that might help that person it's all about you in a in a bad way and so it's very very selfish and obviously the antidote to this is to be selfless. I tell all my clients have a list. I want you to have a list at all times of people you can serve. Now, here's the thing. This is what's so incredible about it. Well, I can't drop and do what I'm doing to go help someone. I said, you don't have to. You can help someone in one second. You're being tempted. What's my temptation coming from? I was selfish. i you know, I need to repent of that. But what could I do to serve someone? You like, you start thinking of your wife. Well, you know what? I bet I could make dinner for her Friday. What would I make? And all of a sudden, I'm thinking of her and how to make her life easier. Just those thoughts of how I could help someone, and so I have to put a list of people down and put a ways. Not obviously, sometimes just go serve them and help them, but prep, plan how you can help them. If you're in a way where you in a position where you can't drop things and go and help someone right at that moment.
0: Oh, that's so, great.
1: And it's, it's 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 a wonder drug. <laughs> it's amazing that the second and that's step twelve really is thinking of other people. But that's it's that stop. I think more people from relapsing than probably anything else is focusing on others.
0: Okay, so what made you add the self pity?
1: Because guess what, the antidote to self pity is service. No, no, that's, oh. self, that's selflessness for self. Okay, okay, okay.
0: Give it to me. <laughs>
1: I wrote uh, the wrong. wrong. One. <laughs> <laughs> it's gratitude. Oh yes, that's yes, why, yes. That's why I added the fifth one because I thought, well, gratitude's got to be someplace. And then I thought, well, what's the opposite of gratitude? I was like, oh, it's it's self pity. Because the second we do self pity, we start thinking of everything we don't have, or everything that's wrong in our lives, instead of everything we have and everything that's great in our lives. It's a totally it's a it's selfish, right? So it can fall under selfishness, but because it has its own, it's it's antidote, like you, if you're feeling self-pity and I've done this and I start writing when I'm, and really feeling the feelings of gratitude, even though I'm, I'm ticked off because my life's like this and I'm this old and I should have this by now and da da da. I just start writing. I'm so grateful for this and this and this, and I'm really feel those boom fixed. I pop out of self-pity. That's a, I'm out of self-pity. I'm also out of temptation. It's a it's it's a wonderful thing. And you know, in, in our society with with racism, not 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 the civil rights, but with especially now with the Black Lives Matters, um, with with the homosexual movement, with the uh, feminist movement, it's all based on victimhood, right? And they're all in self pity, and so it's just it's crippling them. And they and they want to be happy, but you can't be happy in self pity. You just can't you have to be grateful. And if you pop out of that and be grateful, it will change things. It's just, it's, it's just a miracle how, how quickly it can turn things just as the other way can turn it right. The, the focus on self and the poor me, poor me, poor me, poor me makes you feel terrible really fast. It can do the opposite.
0: So Blaine, as we come to wrap it up, because I know you've given up a lot of your time and I appreciate it. What have you seen in some of your clients? Have you seen a high number persist and remain free of the addiction? Or do you see a lot of relapse or give me some hope?
1: Give you hope. The ones that do it uh, are good. I don't know of one going back into relapse. Now they might've had some relapses, but I don't know of any that have gone into full-born back into the addiction um, and thrown in the towel. Um, But the problem, the problem is the submission. The problem is slaying the dragon. And they've got the sword out and they're about to cut and they're about to slay that dragon. And then they're like, well, I don't want to do step five. It's too embarrassing. I don't want to clean out every corner and nook of my my soul because it's too ugly and it's too, I don't want to touch it. And so they don't do the steps all the way. They generally drop out. So and I don't know what happens to them. They drop out and I don't see them. I have, I have multiple clients that have not even finished that have paid. And um, I'm, happy, I'm here running, waiting for them to come and I'll even text them after say, hey, when do you wanna to get together? There's no reply. They haven't finished the steps and they don't want to finish the steps. It's too painful. They don't understand that the pain to go through the steps is painful but it's so much less pain than not going through the steps and the problem with going through this i mean the problem with not going through the steps is it's there's no end in sight but the problem but going through the steps there's actually a short term and then you're freed. so i can't give you a, a, a stat on that but i do know that i've checked in i check in with my past clients occasionally and uh, say how you're doing, how things going, and I get great stories—the ones that have finished—and um, I generally don't get a response or things are fine with the ones that didn't finish.
0: Could you share, without revealing any names, um, a triumphant story of somebody that you rechecked in on?
1: Oh yeah, there was this guy that uh, worked at a hospital, and um, they were been married for seven, eight years, I think, like that. And wife was really struggling with this, obviously, right? Because the wife's, that's the one hard thing. You know, you pick up a bottle like, okay, well, that doesn't affect me. But the wife all of a sudden thinks they're inferior because the guy's looking at other women. It has nothing to do with the wife. It doesn't matter. I mean, believe me, my wife's gorgeous (laughs) and had nothing to do with her looks. Uh, But anyway, so they were were a cute couple uh, uh, and just he's on the ball and ambitious and doing things and moving up in his career. And he's got this. He's got this dark secret and, um, well, she knew about it, but this dark part of his life. Right. And, um, and as I taught him the steps and taught him the antidotes and taught him how to, how to manage it, um, the lights came on and he still struggled for a while, but we were able to get through it and um i think i checked within him like a year and a half or two years later and say how's it going he's like things are going fantastic <laughs> i was like yes he said i'm doing really well i haven't had any relapses and and uh, my wife and i are closer than ever and it was it was awesome and that can be for everyone it really can uh, and people have lost spouses and they can have a bright future still yeah and they can feel peace. That's the greatest thing. You know, happiness, happiness is overrated, but peace, (laughs) peace in this life. I'm telling you, it's the most beautiful thing and anyone can have it. It's just a decision if they're going to submit or not.
0: Okay. Blaine, I can't thank you enough. I, but there's a question I ask everybody at the end of my podcast. Um, But I just want to tell you before we end how grateful I am that you took the time to share and, I really hope that those of you that are listening feel like you've gotten some answers or you have learned something new that you didn't know that can help you in your life. But the last thing I ask everybody I interview is how do you seek light on a daily or regular basis in your life?
1: Um, You know, I was going to say this earlier on step six, it talks about um, going through our lives and Pointing out all the how's it say it?
0: The um, defects of character.
1: Yeah, having God remove all the defects of character. I was actually, I says so I went, so I flew solo to go through it. Um, I didn't catch this. I didn't realize the extent of it. I still got freed because my heart was right. Uh, but I was going through with a client, and he said, Well, I don't follow my conscience. <laughs> and that's a defect of character. And I was like, oh, that is a defect of character. <laughs> Because my conscience would tell me little things all the time. Like I get so ticked off at the airlines and I fly, I fly more often than I want to. And so I'll lay there and they'll say, sir. And I was like, I'm not going to say anything. I know they're talking to me, but I'm not going to say anything. And my conscience pricks me and says, you know, just sit up or just, you know, whatever. Right. And so I found that, that following my conscience is a great way to let light in. And that's what I really try. I actually have a thing on my my phone every single day. Follow your conscience, follow your conscience. Um, Because your conscience always knows the next step. I've asked this in multiple groups. What, What is something you know you're supposed to do right now you're not doing in your life? Everybody knows. And what's something you shouldn't be doing in your life that you do and everybody knows because our conscience is, is like tolstoy said the voice of god and it always leads us to the next thing that's going to make us healthier it's going to make us better and that's how i try to let light in my life by following my conscience
0: blaine thank you so much how can um people reach out to you if they would like to talk to you or have you help them or their family member
1: uh they could go to adoreyourspouse.com Or they could email me at Blaine at com. either way. And I've got a bunch of free videos and stuff that might help out on our site as well.
0: Okay. I will definitely put that in the show notes. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Blaine. I am so grateful that you listened to my latest podcast. Please share these episodes with your family and friends. I look forward to being with you again soon. Have a great day.